You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 117. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Well, yeah, so one of my biggest passions is to educate parents that it's not just about candy bars and soda, which is what I was sort of taught a lot as a child. How do I prevent cavities in myself? We'll avoid, you know, chocolate and carbonated sugary drinks. But we know now that processed foods, um, packaged foods is what I call them, is a huge contributor to cavities in young children. Hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio to the pediatric series for August 2020. Have you just loved these episodes? Have they not been so amazing? I'm so glad that you're tagging along with me. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show. Also, when you get a chance for rating and reviewing the show, thank you so much. If you want to support my work, there is a couple of ways that you can do it. There's a special going on. I have started a Patreon account. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the Dr. Yami, all spelled out. This is a place where you can go and support my work. It's donation, basically, but with that donation, you get perks. So you get extra content, exclusive content that is available nowhere else, only for my patrons, monthly Q and A's and other goodies like that. So go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the Dr. Yami and check it out and see if you would be willing. It sounds exciting to you to be part of that community. I would appreciate it so much. The other thing you can do is simply shop for items you need that I also love. So I started uh, Dr. Yami's favorite thing shop store that for many of the items, I have affiliate relationships with the company. So you can go to dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash shop, S-H-O-P, and check it out and see if there's any items there that you have been considering getting then I can get a small percentage of that. And it's a win-win situation. You can support the show. I hope that you've realized that it's been getting better and better, but also you can support my YouTube channel, Veggie Doctor TV, where I hope to make even more videos. So how a pediatrician orders at videos and cooking videos, because my kitchen's getting remodeled soon. Woohoo! So I can't wait to do that. 
I want to give a shout out to SSXO41125, who left a review on Apple Podcasts entitled New Listener. I am a follower of Lancaster Sanctuary on Instagram. I saw that this podcast was out and I had to listen. I loved learning more about the sanctuary and Jonina and Sarah. Great podcast. Thank you so much, SSXO41125. I love Lancaster Farm Sanctuary and have a very special place in my heart for them. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, listeners, please check it out. It's so heartwarming and you'll see just how much time, effort, and love these farm sanctuary owners put into the animals. So thank you so much for that review. And thank you for picking up a copy of my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. So glad that it's been helping so many people. Thank you so much for the feedback and reaching out to me either through email or on social media. Just want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, growth, etc., please get in touch with your doctor. Okay, so today's episode is about pediatric dental health with Dr. Stacy, who is amazing. So Dr. Stacy is a graduate of the Institute of Integrative Health, where she earned her international certificate in health and wellness coaching. Aside from health coaching, Dr. Stacy is a board certified pediatric dentist in Portland, Oregon, where she offers a whole body and functional approach to her patient care. Her passion is to educate people to feel empowered over their own well-being, and she believes diet is the key to overall health. By finding the root causes of disease, she is better able to make holistic recommendations to help guide you and your family to optimal health. And she's so cool. She's in Portland, which is one of my favorite cities in the whole wide world. So hopefully someday I'll get to meet her IRL in real life, in person, but you guys are going to love this interview. We address the basics. We get down to the foundation of dental and oral health, and she's a big believer in sticking to whole foods. So please listen to what she says and the tips and take it to heart. And remember, these things are not meant to shame or blame. If you've made some mistakes or you feel you haven't gotten off to the right foot with your child on their teeth and their oral and dental health, it's okay. Start where you are, start making little changes. And I promise you that you can reach that dream of getting to a well-being place that feels good for you and your family. Okay. Enough of me talking. Let's listen to this great interview with Dr. Stacy Whitman. Dr. Stacy, what a pleasure having you on Veggie Doctor Radio today. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I very much appreciate the invitation. Well, you are the first pediatric dentist that will grace the Veggie Doctor Radio podcast. 
And I have a lot of questions, but I want to start with the basics because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good place to start to set the foundation. But before we get to the actual dentist questions, I want to know what holistic dentistry is. What What is the definition of that? And why is that something that you practice? That is an excellent question. Uh, holistic dentistry generally means looking at the entire patient or the whole body instead of just the mouth and the teeth and the oral cavity. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, what that means with working with children is, you know, looking beyond perhaps their cavities and looking at things like their sleep quality and their nutritional quality and what are their emotional states like and what is the family dynamic like. Um, and we talk about airway health and we do talk about the microbiome and what is their gut health looking like and asthma and allergies. And even though I am not addressing those, we do discuss it because, you know, the, the mouth is connected to the body. And if one system is out of balance, it can affect another system. And so my job is to just, you know, touch upon these things, discuss them, and then help guide parents to the right resources, um, while also getting to the root causes of why their child may be having some oral disease, um, that that could be contributing to other issues in their bodies as well. So, yeah. So basically, you're like a lifestyle medicine dentist. Because you look at all of the different habits, everything that can impact the mouth. Yes. Yep. Um, Basically, we, you know, we also, we offer a lot of support to parents too. I'm a parent myself. And I think that's a huge component of dentistry that I personally was not trained to, to consider and didn't always practice was thinking about how all of this is affecting the emotional health um, and the Mm -hmm. stress and the anxiety in the family unit as well, um, because dentistry is not always a loved uh, place to practice and place to go, and it, it does have effects on people. So um, it extends far beyond the teeth, and and so um, yeah, and we, we have a lot more preventative outcomes success by looking beyond just the oral cavity. I love that. That's so beautiful. Well, tell me, why is whole food so essential for dental health? Well, yeah, so one of my biggest passions is to educate parents that it's not just about candy bars and soda, which is what I was sort of taught a lot as a child. How do I prevent cavities in myself? We'll avoid, you know, chocolate and carbonated sugary drinks. But we know now that processed foods... Um, packaged foods is what I call them, is a huge contributor to cavities in young children, along with snacking, you know, the frequency that we're eating. And I just feel, you know, we're such a society on the go. And, you know, we do try to be empathetic and create attainable goals for families, but we really do need to kind of get back to the basics, back to whole real foods, back to cooking. Um, you know, I really love the idea of children getting into the kitchen to help with meal preparation. Um, it will just help open their, their world to a more diverse diet um, and food exposure, too. Um, so, yeah, we just we talk about eating the rainbow a lot. 
Yeah. And I love it because the listeners aren't going to get the pleasure of seeing this, but behind you, there is an amazing, cute lit up sign that says eat a rainbow. I love it. That's so beautiful. And, you know, you, you talk about this processed food and the eating frequency, which over Mm -hmm. the last 70 years, we've over doubled the amount of times we eat per day. Like we used to eat around three times a day. Now we eat seven times per day on average. Mm -hmm. Some people eating way more often than that. So having food touching your mouth constantly and much of what we eat, the majority of the calories that we eat in the United States are from processed foods. Yeah. So this is something I didn't know either. I had to learn the hard way. I've already told the story on the podcast when I had another dentist guest that I left residency with 10 cavities mm. because I lived on granola bars, you know, like being up 30 hours and totally, and I, I, you know, they were like healthy granola totally. bars, you know? Totally. And, and so now I know, but I had to learn from personal experience because it's not something that like you hear about, like nobody talks about, oh, it's, it's not just eating candy. It's not just Halloween, you know, it's all of these different types of foods that can affect your teeth. So I think parents have the right to know that and learn that. And a lot of parents don't know that. Do you feel like parents are surprised or shocked when you talk about some of these things? Very much so. When when we first really started discussing snacking and snacking frequency, um, yes, the the response was alarm alarmist almost, you know, so we try to be mindful with our approach, but, you know, our children so commonly are eating, you know, uh, goldfish crackers or Cheez-Its or pretzels or popcorn puffs, you know, just things that tend to be sticky. They sit in the teeth. They can take a long time to eat because they're in a bag. So you can kind of carry them with you um, kind of throughout an hour, let's say, or sitting in the car, just kind of nibbling. And so not only do they stick and do they break down into sugars and acids very quickly, but the, the frequency that we discussed, it leaves your mouth constantly in this acidic state. So part of the mm-hmm. digestive process starts in your mouth. You know, your saliva comes in and breaks down your food. The pH lowers. That is all normal. But we are supposed to allow our mouths a chance to rest and to heal and to allow our saliva to naturally remineralize our mouth and our teeth for us. But very frequently with the snacking and the grazing habits that happen and also drinks, you know, Mm -hmm. so many people will just sip, 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 sip all day, whether it's on your frappuccino or your kombucha or what have you, you know, it does alter the pH in our mouth. And so we really should be more on a schedule or I like to call it organized eating Um, and then, and then really just plain water in between. And that is, it's a real, um, it can be a bit overwhelming at first, but it's a real simple trick to, to start establishing just for better overall health, not only oral health. Yes, no, definitely. Because just like you're talking about the mouth needing a break, I think the gut needs a break too. And I think also we've gotten into this habit where we eat just to eat because it's part of our culture. And so Mm -hmm. I think this also encourages older children to start 
going away from the intuitive eating. So they're not yeah. necessarily paying attention to their bodies. They're just like, I'm bored. Or yeah, we're in yeah. the car. We're, we're doing whatever. So it's time to eat. They're not actually hungry. They're not really tuning into their bodies. And then also you're not giving your digestive system time to rest and digest and do what it needs to because it's always getting new inputs all of the time. Yep. And I like, I like how you mentioned kombucha because it part of, I think, this health community, kombucha is a common drink. My kids love it. And I am so big Mine on like, too. you will have that at, at your meal time and that's it. No sitting yeah. in between. <laughs> I'm like so bad. I'm yeah. like, nope. At, sit down at the table. You're eating it at your meal time. So, yeah. I mean, so it's partly what you mentioned with the granola bars. I mean, marketing is powerful, right? And so, we just—it's—it's it's all about education. Knowledge is power. I mean, I have—I made this huge poster in my office that says, you know, sugar-loving bacteria love organic and non-GMO foods too, because a lot of parents come in and will say, but they're organic cheddar bunnies or they're organic fruit snacks. And so clearly there's a little disconnect. And so it's just, you know, it's just educating. Um, Yep. It's really important. And and, and just for the listeners, it's not shaming or blaming. Like I'm telling you, that's why I like to tell my stories guys, because I didn't know either. I got 10 cavities after residency. (laughs) So it's like, I also didn't know. And I was a grown woman in, in, I was already a doctor, you know? So I I think it's just about knowing and then just taking steps. Like you don't have to change everything at once, but how can we take steps so that we can have better oral health? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all only know what we know when we know it. And there are many things I look back as well um, with my children and kind of do the, whoops, I kind of missed the ball on that one. But, you know, there's no judgment. And again, we really are here just to support parents um, and that is part of our practice too, is we, we really listen and try to help problem solve family dynamics because every family is a little different and some things yeah. that might be easy for one to attain will be more challenging. And, and um, so that's really part of the holistic approach too, is, is every patient and every family that walks in has a different story and we need to listen to that story. Oh, I love it. And I'm sure that you learned some of that from your coaching training too, in being able to meet people where they are and work with Mm -hmm. them with their goals, because that's really the best way to do that. As doctors and dentists, I think we learn more of that expert model where we're just like, do this Mm -hmm. and come Mm -hmm. back after you do it, you know, and it doesn't always work. Okay. Well, let's, let's step back and start from the beginning. Like I said, I wanted to kind of get to basics. When should parents start brushing their children's teeth? As soon as possible. So we generally recommend as soon as a tooth erupts, um, which is around six months old. However, you could even start wiping your baby's mouth and gums prior to that, even with just a wet cloth or some parents will make like xylitol wipes. but yeah, I mean, you can get a cavity the moment it it makes its presence known into the oral environment. So, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, we're seeing cavities in younger and younger and younger children. Um, so, you know, you can just use a little cloth and just start wiping the first teeth or a little, they make these little silicone brushes. You've probably seen the banana brush or they have like a silicone finger brush. Um, so not only is it 
creating prevention, but also it is helping desensitize the child to the experience of having things in their mouth, which they very often don't love initially. And then it does get you in the habit as well, because just like everything, a habit takes time. Um, but we do know children who start earlier routines and do visit the dentist early um, or have a much lower risk of cavities and oral disease in the future. Yeah. And just like you were saying, wiping the gums, one of the benefits of that can be that desensitizing too, even, even when they don't have teeth yet, right? Like you might even just start getting into that habit. Yep. When they first start brushing, do they need to use a toothpaste or is water okay? Like water what do you recommend? I, I, water is fine. Water is fine, especially if you're exclusively breastfeeding. Um, the research is showing breastfeeding alone is not contributing to cavities. Um, I know there's more research coming out about that. A lot of dentists do see cavities in children who are um, being breastfed kind of on demand, but it's very often with the introduction of food also. So yes. exclusive breastfeeding, just water is totally fine. If you want to use a little toothpaste, again, to just help desensitize, I do recommend in young, young children just using a trainer toothpaste, um, either like a xylitol or, you know, a, a DIY at home, just one probably without fluoride in it because they are going to be ingesting it. Um, yeah. But a lot of parents just use water and that's fine. That's great. Okay, great. Yeah. And then one time a day before bed or how many times a day should they start when they first start out? Perfect world would be morning and night, but I don't like to overwhelm parents. So I think once a day would be wonderful. What I used to do, you know, I really believe in attaching new habits to existing habits. So where are we very often with young infants and babies? We are at the changing table. So what I did is in the top drawer of my changing table, I had the diapers and the diaper cream and the toiletries and toothbrush, toothpaste, flossers, you know, little wipes, whatever I was using. And so ideally in the morning when we would change diapers, put, you know, get out of PJs. And then at night when we're getting into PJs, I would just open the drawer and there was everything right there. And it literally could be a 10 second experience, but it's just to create that habit. Um, but if that seems overwhelming, you know, once a day is perfectly fine too. No, I love that. I love that habit stacking because you already associate it with something else you're doing and makes it so much easier. It doesn't feel like a whole brand new task, you know? And so yeah. that's a great tip. I'm going to start using that with my families. Thanks for that. Yeah. I like it too, because um, I do like perfect world children to be laying back mm -hmm. for their brushing and flossing at home. You can see what you're doing so much better you know, there's a reason dentists, hygienists, and assistants, we lay patients back. It's just mm -hmm. the ergonomics of it, that your direct vision is so much easier. You can see what you're doing. You're less likely to um, create discomfort if you can mm -hmm. see what you're doing. I think sometimes I've, I've observed parents brushing and they're kind of going in blind. And I think it really is uncomfortable. You know, they can't see what they're doing. And and again, that will help desensitize the children too to that laying back position for when they do eventually go to the dentist. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's on the changing table or maybe laying down on a bed or the couch or back in your arms, um, trying that. That doesn't work for all children. Some people, children don't like to lay back. They have really strong gag reflex. And so you do need to work with your child and what your child's needs are. But I do recommend maybe to start there and see how it goes. 
Okay, perfect. And then when should parents start flossing their child's teeth? As soon as possible. <laughs> so this is, not, besides um, getting on a schedule and nutrition and, and that kind of realm, my other passion is I wish every human flossed. And the reason is a majority of the cavities that I see, and I mean almost all, of the cavities that I find in children and adult dentists will say the same are in between the teeth and they are cavities. We call them intraproximal cavities or, um, flossing cavities, kissing cavities, hidden cavities are all other names I've heard. Um, you can't usually see them clinically or visually in the mouth until you're able to take x-rays because they're hidden in between. Um, and it's where the toothbrush can't reach. And it's where your tongue, your tongue does a lot of cleaning of your mm -hmm. teeth for you as well. It's where your tongue can't reach. And so even though you're not seeing food there visually, there are food particles. And then there is a biofilm or bacteria there too. Mm -hmm. So I really can't emphasize enough to start flossing. When should you really, really start flossing? It's when teeth start touching. So every mm -hmm. child is different with that. Some children have nice wide spaces in the front and some have more crowded teeth and, you know, anywhere teeth touch, they could get cavities. So you need to kind of assess your child. Parents get tricked though. I hear this a lot where they think they don't need to be flossing because their children have these nice wide spaces in the front, but usually around two, two and a half, three, the second set of primary molars come in. And they will get nice and tight in the back next to their adjacent molar, just like our teeth are tight in the back. And that is when you, it's really imperative to be flossing those back molars. So um, again, that's why I love laying children back because you can really get a good look in there and see what's going on in the posterior region. Are there second molars in? Are they touching? And if so, please start flossing. Please, please, please. Um, it's not that uncommon to get the first set of x-rays. Most children tolerate around four. So if their teeth have been touching back there from two and a half, you know, that's a whole year and a half where maybe you've been coming to the dentist regularly, but we haven't been able to get x-rays due to behavior. And, you know, it's, it's, x-rays are yeah. tricky. Um, and so that's a whole 18 months of time that potentially cavities could be developing. And very often, and it's so sad and such a bummer, but we take our first set of x-rays and we start seeing little cavities starting in between the back teeth. Darn um, it. Yep. So whenever parents floss their child's teeth, can they use any kind of, can they use like just a regular string floss? What's mm -hmm. typically easier for parents to use to floss their children's teeth? So that's a great question. I definitely find the floss sticks or the floss picks easier for parents. The string, it's too cumbersome. Your children will bite on your fingers. Um, so I do recommend those. I don't like the plastic waste. I, you know, part of my practice too is to be as sustainable and green as possible. That is part of the holistic um, world in my mind is considering our planet as well. But what I tell, I, and I haven't found a great solution. I know there are some biodegradable and compostable flossers on the market. They don't break down quite as quickly as I think we think they do, but in, and they're more expensive. But what I do 
just like you don't throw your toothbrush away every night, I suggest is using the regular kid flossers and then setting them to the side and every few days going and rinsing them and cleaning them and then just to reuse them. Mm -hmm. The most oral bacteria cannot stay viable or alive outside of the oral environment for much more than 15, 18, 24 hours. So um, if you clean them, you know, if they're looking gross and frayed, of course, throw them away. But that seems to um, create less guilt about the plastic waste for parents too. I do know they make, I think Reach has one. If you, you know, you can look around online, but they do have the the floss holders that you can restring. Um, and so that's a reusable floss type pick, but I, I haven't found a great one that's sized to a small mouth. Most of them are, are catered to adults, but, but play around with it. But I do, you know, I do think getting some sort of handle really helps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we do at my house, I tell every patient this, I do it still. My girls are five and seven. We do it in the bedroom. We, I have a bowl of flossers on the nightstand. We also have some on, on this, on the bathtub ledge. So we try to hit it up in the bathtub. If we miss that, we do it while we're reading stories, nice. um, at night. So again, it may not be ideal, like ideal would be to floss and brush, enjoy your rinsing and tongue scraping in the bathroom and, you know, but that doesn't always work. It, it's what works for you as a family. And so for me, what works well is to attach our story to our habit of flossing. And so that's what we do every night. We read a book and we floss and my girls have their little water bottle and they'll kind of, you know, switch around and, and that works for our family. And so a lot of parents have had good, great success with trying it in the bedroom too. Okay. I love that tip. Just, yeah, just like you said, each family has to find the routine that works for them. Just keep trying to keep find trying. the one that sticks with you. And, you know, because it's like Dr. Stacy is saying, I mean, it, that's true. I remember when I was a kid, I had, I've always had a lot of cavities until I learned how to take care of my health and my mouth no more since then, but all the ones I had before, all between my teeth. So yeah. I never flossed when I was a kid. I yeah. didn't have those good habits and they're so important. So when should kids start seeing a dentist? Um, I, so our, in the international recommendation usually, um, by all of our pediatric associations is around one or when the first teeth erupt. So, you know, I usually see kids around one. I have parents that are really excited to come to the dentist and they come around seven or eight months old. I love that. Um, always bring little sieves to older sieves, dental appointments. That's, that's just creating exposure. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a lot. I, I still hear some dentists saying, oh, we don't need to see you till you're three or four or five. But like I just mentioned with that whole flossing cavity thing, that really can be too late. Mm -hmm. And it's not only for cavities, but we're looking at, at habits and airway. We talk about sleep, you know, growth and development issues. Um, and so the early, just like everything, you know, the earlier you catch things, the, the sooner you can course correct and get back on track. So, um, but quick answers around one. Yes. And that's what I, I was, you already answered the next question which I get that a lot from some families that they have their family dentist, which I think is great. But the, that dentist, which isn't necessarily a pediatric dentist will say, Oh, we don't need to see them till they're four. And I'm usually like, well, there's other things you 
get from going to the dentist earlier, even just the familiarity of going and seeing a friendly face and having the routine, I think is all a good thing too. So I try to encourage my families to get in there um, earlier than that if possible. Yep, I agree. So earlier, you know, we were talking about our culture here in the United States and things that we just don't know. And I think that one of the things that's a common belief is that cavities are just inevitable. That mm-hmm. It's just like a childhood thing. Like all kids get cavities, mm-hmm. but is that true? Will kids get cavities no matter what, or are there really ways that we can prevent cavities from forming? Yes. Um, we get that a lot. Our, our families come in saying, my family is prone to cavities or we have soft teeth. If they're dentists listening, they'll be nodding. Yes, we hear the soft teeth um, comment a lot. And there is a genetic component, but it's very small. I mean, it's just like the whole concept of epigenetics. You know, you may be a little more prone, but it doesn't mean we need to turn that switch on. There are ways to prevent it. Um, and number one truly is is diet. And also something that's really overlooked is, is mouth breathing. So nasal breathing is so essential for health for many reasons, much beyond the oral cavity. But mouth breathing, truly, it dries out the mouth and um, our teeth thrive in saliva and, and in a moist environment. And so that's something to be aware of, too, if your child while it might be cute, they're snoring at night or their mouth's open when they sleep, um, that can increase their cavity risk too. So um, we do talk a lot about that. But no, cavities are not our destiny. Um, you know, we look, if you look back, there's a lot of people doing um, anthropological studies and looking back at um, ancient skulls of humans, and there's very little dental disease. There might be some periodontal disease, which is bone loss. But cavities really didn't exist. And again, we're, we're attributing that to, to diet. And we notice a huge surge in cavities around the agricultural and um, industrialized revolutions when processed foods became more readily available and, you know, refined sugars and refined flours and things of that nature as well. So yes, that diet, um, which also affects our microbiome, which is very important to dental health. And whenever you started talking about how kids are getting cavities earlier and earlier, you know, we pass down our microbiome. So if the entire family is eating a certain way that doesn't support a healthy microbiome, we're sharing all of those bacteria with each other. Yep. Yep. Yeah. A lot of parents don't realize um, that cavity, the bacteria that cause cavities is transmissible. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, generally your baby is born with a pretty sterile oral environment, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they are often inoculated with the bacteria of their parents, either through kissing or, you know, the pacifier falls on the floor and, you know, mom kind of cleans it off and um, but it's true, you know, in we're, we're little tribes and we share our microbiomes for whether they're the good guys or the bad guys, you know, and so we do talk a lot about, we talk a lot about that at my office as well. Yeah. So that's another reason why whenever we talk about role modeling, we talk about getting the whole family on board with habit and lifestyle change, you know, this can affect the teeth in more ways than one. So just something to remember. 
All right. Well, this is a question you may or may not have an answer for. I'm thinking you probably do, but why <laughs> do kids hate brushing their teeth so much? And I'm asking Woo! for little Yami, you know, 30 something <laughs> years ago, I, I would totally like when my parents asked, you know, like I would totally just put my toothbrush under the water and not brush my teeth and put it back. So if they checked it, I mean, it's horrible. Why did I hate brushing my teeth so much? Ah, well, I can say initially when children are very young, I think it is very stimulating and it can be very threatening. You know, someone's, they're in your space, in your mouth. It's, you know, it's uncomfortable. Most children don't like their faces wiped or their hair washed or their ears checked. So it's sort of in that same realm. Um, as kids get older, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think perhaps it hasn't, maybe they weren't introduced young enough, the concepts or the desensitization or the educational component of why it's so important. Um, also it seems like such a time suck, you know, like kids are wanting to go play outside and ride their bikes or play a video game. And it just seems like those, that minute or two of brushing and flossing is such an ordeal, so incentivizing children, you know, trying to keep it positive and fun. I know a lot of parents have dance parties when they brush. They have um, sticker charts that they fill out. And each day they do it, they get a very small reward. And then after a week, they get a bigger prize, you know, especially if you're trying to create a routine and habits. Charts can be wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, for older kids, I mean, you're right. Preteens and teens, they generally do not like it. But you know what I remember too? And it took me a while to find a toothpaste that I really like, but I always remember the toothpaste being way too spicy, like uncomfortably Mint. spicy. And now yeah. I use just like the Arm & Hammer and it's like perfect because it just yeah. like not too spicy. But do you have recommendations for children that seem really sensitive to the strong flavor of typical fluoride toothpaste? And how long can they use the quote kids toothpaste for? Well, you know, that's, that's really parental preference. There, there's a lot of toothpaste out now. There's so many flavors. I mean, you can find chocolate and vanilla and, wow. and, and orange and ginger. And, you know, most kids do find mint very spicy. I mean, it's really atypical to have a child that likes a minty toothpaste. Um, for training toothpaste, you know, I, I suggest you speak to your pediatrician or your dentist about that. Um, there are ingredients now, something called hydroxyapatite, which is a wonderful remineralizer that you can use indefinitely from birth all the way up. I, that's what I use. Um, but, you know, depending on what your needs are, what your, your cavity risks and things of that nature, you know, once a child's generally able to spit, that is when most dentists will recommend they can switch either to a traditional fluoride toothpaste or um, something that remineralizes. Mm -hmm. But the kids fluoride toothpaste, you know, the one that's like fun bubble gum, can they just use that indefinitely if they just want to keep using that kind? Or is that oh, less fluoride I mean, or anything? Or My husband uses like a vanilla that tastes like cake batter that is, <laughs> but, <laughs> he's, a, but he's, he's a grown up kid. <laughs> totally. I mean, it makes them brush. That's fine with me. Whatever works, you know, we're all different, but you know, and oh, I was going to say, I, what I also wonder Sometimes why kids maybe don't like brushing and flossing is they might have gingivitis. 
So that's when the gums are kind of inflamed and they bleed easily. Um, and that can really scare kids when they brush and floss and then there's blood in the sink, you know, that it does not seem normal. And it's not, you know, that's a sign of inflammation and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's a tough one. I mean, you have to keep encouraging it to get through the hump to, to kind of heal the gingivitis, get past that inflammatory state. And so I do think a lot of the preteens, teens, they've taken over their own oral health care routine and maybe technique has, you know, it's not quite where we want it to be and they're missing some areas. And I think that might be another reason. So, well, I just have to throw in a story because it's just <laughs> so funny because, you know, as you know, I did not have a good dental health history. So because of that, with my kids, I'm like, I'm going to do better. Okay. than what I did when I was a kid. And so I talked to them a lot about their dental health and all of this stuff. And my older one, who's uh, 15 and a half now, they went on this hike and it was supposed to be just a day hike. And unfortunately, because of some of the decisions that were made by the group hiking, they ended up having to spend a night on the mountain, not prepared to spend a night on the mountain. And they found some other people and they were camping with the, you know, found some tents and everything was fine. But my son guess what he was worried about that night. He wasn't worried about being eaten by a bear or dying of frostbite or anything. He was worried that he didn't get to brush his teeth that night. Oh, I I was like, yes, (laughs) he cares about his dental hygiene. And that's my goal. Every patient, that is my goal is to take your hygiene that seriously. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about bottles. So when do you recommend weaning off the bottle and the pacifier? Uh, um, bottles. I mean, I've spoken to the IBCLCs and the, the speech language pathologists about this. I mean, most like them transition off the bottles, I believe around one, like 15 months. That doesn't mean exclusively, but you can start introducing an open cup at six months old. I mean, Mm -hmm. as soon as you introduce foods, you can get an open cup and they have really cute little silicone counterweighted cups out there now. Um, But that the reason is that really helps establish growth and development, proper tongue position and swallowing, airway development. I mean, there there are reasons they recommend that. So um, I don't talk a lot about bottles. I, I do tend to leave that a bit more to the pediatrician. Um, but but generally on one, but for pacifiers, that's such a hard one because so many parents, I think, are emotionally attached to the pacifier. Um, but, you know, our organizations, the American Academy of Pediatrics and our pediatric dental organizations, um, certainly myofunctional therapists, breastfeeding specialists, speech language, they do recommend around six months old to start considering taking away the pacifier, which is really young. I mean, that's, it's younger than I did with my daughters um, because I didn't know. So, but I try to be gentle with parents again, because, you know, if a child is sleeping and they're quiet in the car, I mean, I I get it. Or you're traveling on an airplane. I mean, that pacifier can be very important. Um, But I do start really talking about it around the age of one. And again, that's just, we're introducing it, we're planting the seed, but we do know around nine, 10 months old is when children can start developing emotional attachments to to items. 
And also, you know, the longer we have the pacifier, I think the harder it is to get rid of, and they can be affecting their growth and development. So it's sort of like ripping a Band-Aid off. The sooner the better, the better. But, you know, again, you need to do what's right for your family. And then my role is just to educate the possible risks of continuing with it, which is, you know, not only tooth position, which I think is what a lot of parents think. We're just talking about the teeth. Um, but it's much beyond that. It's actually jaw development, this this development of the skull and how a child is swallowing and, you know, does it affect them in the way that maybe they will start mouth breathing? Um, these are kind of dramatic what ifs, but um, I do recommend sooner than later. And there's a lot of little tips of ways to do it too, as, as your children get older. So it's not meant to, to stress parents out, but, um, you know, we do recommend it as, as sooner, sooner the better, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those are great tips. Yeah. And as far as the bottle for me and my practice, I try to have them off by 13 months. So when they come in for their one year visit, I'm like, okay, time to wean it down. And we talk about yeah. how to wean off the bottle. And I do introduce cup at six months so that they can start practicing so that it's much easier whenever they come in for the one year visit, we already they can already use a cup fine and it's not. A yeah, problem, so. that's great. I joke with parents. I'm like, you might want to consider getting a dog because there will be spills. And especially if you're doing, you know, baby led weaning or you're, you know, as you introduce real foods, mm-hmm. there is a mess. So, yes. you know, our dog got really kind of chubby during that time period. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> Dogs love babies and toddlers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really great for them. All right. This has been so great. So tell me about your opinion. This is the last serious dental question here on frequent night feeds, either bottle Mm -hmm. or breast. And at what age can this start to become a problem? Because you did mention earlier that we're starting to see cavities in babies earlier and earlier. So is there a time when we should be trying to space out the feedings or eliminate feedings at night? Can it start to become a problem for the teeth? Yeah. You know, there's still so much research happening about this. A lot of dentists, pediatric dentists are going to say, you know, on-demand feeding throughout the night is problematic. Um, But the research is showing that, you know, breast milk in and of itself isn't the Mm -hmm. issue. Then there's research to say, well, maybe it's not the breast milk, but maybe it's the bacterial strain that the baby actually has, or is it candida? You know, so there's a lot still yet to be discovered. Um, You know, I don't, what do you say with feeding throughout the night? When can a child stop feeding throughout the night? It depends on the size of the baby and whether they are and all that kind of stuff. But I really think that between six and nine months, that's when we talk about sleep training anyway. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, And, you know, I just think, metabolically, it's better for them. A lot of kids are still waking up and it's just easier to nurse them or feed them because then they go back to sleep and it's it's easier for parents sometimes, but I think it does sometimes perpetuate a habit. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. So again, I mean, that's sort of what I did with my girls. We did start sleep training around six months old. Um, I do often refer that question to their pediatrician because just like you mentioned, there's bio-individuality and every baby is a little different and every parent situation is different. Um, But if they are feeding throughout the night or the parent just isn't ready to wean yet, we do recommend to at least wipe the teeth. Mm -hmm. And so either just a simple wet cloth 
or they do have these xylitol wipe cloths, you know, and a lot of parents are like, well, it's going to wake up the baby. You know, I just, just simply lift the lip up a little bit and just kind of wipe those upper front teeth because that's usually where the milk is pooling and causing the issues. And then at the very least, please brush in the morning when they wake up because that, you know, that is the concern is the, the, the breast milk potentially mixed with the food that we had at dinner and maybe we didn't brush that night and maybe the baby's mouth breathing too, you know, all these variables add together and it can contribute to cavities. And we, I see, I see cavities in, in one-year-olds and 13-month-olds and 15-month-olds, you know, and it's, it's such a hard, hard conversation to have because there's not always a clear-cut answer, you know, mm-hmm. as to why. And then there's developmental issues too. We are finding um, teeth are developing with hypoplastic mineral, mineralized mm-hmm. enamel or hypomineralized enamel. Um, it's basically missing important nutrients and development. So they are a little more susceptible to cavities. And so we're seeing that more and more. And that can stem back potentially to nutritional deficiencies in moms when they're pregnant. You know, there's just still so much being done to kind of to unpack all of this. Um, But hygiene, you know, just the the simple act of wiping the teeth in the middle of the night is is a really nice way to kind of combat some of the other issues. Okay. That's super great tips. Thank you for that. So what would be your wildest dream come true in (gasps) regard to children's lifestyle or dental habits? Well, I mean, my wildest dream would be a world without cavities and, and done naturally, you know, there's talk of inoculations and vaccines for it, but I don't think that's necessary when, if we could just focus on diet, um, our real whole foods, getting on a schedule, hygiene, you know, flossing. I'll be honest, hygiene is not the top of my list though. It really isn't. If you Mm -hmm. have a, if, if you have a whole food, clean diet, less processed foods and eat on a schedule, the, the hygiene component is, is down the, down the tier of recommendations for me. I mean, very often I have parents come in and child number one never brushes, never flosses, has zero cavities. And child number two is pretty meticulous and has a mouthful of them. And a lot of times then I'll ask about um, eating schedules or food preferences. And child number one who doesn't brush or floss tends to be the veggie eater, you know, the more balanced, um, adventurous eater and child number two may prefer more carb rich, you know, processed type things too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my ultimate dream would be a world without cavities. Honestly, I think people think dentists like finding cavities. We do not like to find cavities. So just helping give parents the tools, um, for prevention. I love it. What do you wish more parents knew? Um, Stuff we talked about. I mean, snack choices and snack frequency, I think are the biggest, the biggest responses that I get are that are, they really don't know that that was such a concern dental wise. So teaching about um, meal prepping snacks, even, you know, a lot of people meal prep for dinners, but, but cutting up veggies, cutting up fruits, 
cheese sticks, you know, if you do meat, meat sticks, nuts and seeds, just getting things prepped so you can grab and go out of the refrigerator rather than grabbing that bag of cheddar bunnies or granola bars or, you know, things, things that are quick. Cause you yeah. know, we are a society on the go and I, I definitely understand that, but just simple little parent hacks, you know, can work. Awesome. Well, I'd love to know what personal habit you're most proud of, how you developed it and how you maintain it. Oh, me, myself. Uh, I think I'm most proud of my sleep. I've worked really hard to prioritize my sleep. I didn't always used to. I'm sure you can relate. There was a time in our lives where we were studying and on rounds and residencies and working a lot. And I was just chronically exhausted and kind of feeling like garbage. Um, even though I, I actually was eating pretty healthy, my sleep was terrible. And so I really prioritize my sleep now. I have a pretty set sleep schedule. I, um, I have an aura ring, which I monitor my sleep with. And I, you know, I love it. And because of that, I was I took my children's sleep very seriously too. And so we're pretty, I don't like the word strict, but we're pretty scheduled yes. with sleep. I tell my girls sleep is the best medicine for your body. And mm -hmm. I, I, I really believe that sleep is critical. Um, and then, you know, hydration, you know, that's a constant battle I always have, but I'm, I'm proud of myself recently because I got this amazing water bottle that has times of the day, you fill it up and it, you know, it says 8am, 9am, 10am, 11, all the way um, through your day. And it's helped me be accountable for my hydration levels too. So I love that. And that's so, water. so important for the sleep. How, how many hours do you need on average for yourself? I honestly think I thrive with 10 hours of sleep. Um, wow. I don't get 10 hours of sleep though. I try to get at least eight Eight and a half, though, is my preference. It's so hard because, you know, you, you're trying to fit in exercise and then work and then family time. Um, but, yeah, so I, I really try to always get at least eight hours. I find if I'm any less than that, I am just not feeling great at all. Yeah. No, that um, And then it affects my whole day. Yeah, and this is such a huge thing because Americans are chronically sleep deprived. Yeah. And a lot of people they're trying to tweak all this stuff and maybe I need to just eliminate this whole thing or this whole food group or whatever, you know, do this and this and this. I'm just so tired all the time. So tired all the time. And the first thing I ask was like, how are you sleeping? And usually it's like six, maybe seven hours per night, which people think is fine, but some people just like you need more. So every person needs to really honor and tune into their bodies mm -hmm. to really discover how much sleep that they need and then decide whether they're going to be able decide to prioritize it to yeah. feel better. Yeah, and it's not only it's not only sleep. Part of my problem too is just rest. Mm -hmm. So even during the day, I I mean, I'm just one of these people. I'm just go 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 go. I can't I have a really hard time sitting still. So I'm trying to practice that like learning to just sit and you know, just take it in, be present, read a book, do nothing, just sit there for a minute, just to rest my body, even during the day, taking those little breaks throughout the day. So that is when one of the beautiful things about what's happening right now around us, I think is that it has 
um, allowed us to slow down a little bit. And I'm hoping that that is a positive thing that can be taken out of the pandemic that's happening is um, getting back to um, the basics and rest and, you know, just slowing life down a little bit, being more present. Yes. And honoring oneself, what yeah. are every, every person's individual unique needs. That's so awesome. Well, Dr. Stacy, this has been so great. I know that listeners Yay. are just <laughs> really wanting to know where to find you so that they can follow you and get more info from you. So tell us, how can listeners connect sure with you? Sure thing. I mean, if you're in Portland or the Pacific Northwest, my office is in Portland, Oregon. It's called NoPo Kids Dentistry. I'm in North Portland. And so they refer to North Portland as NoPo. Um, so you can find me there. Um, I do have a health coaching platform where I can't diagnose your child's oral health care needs, but I can help guide you through education. And that's called Happy Health Co. Um, so it's happyhealthco.com and that's happy with an I. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and all those places as um, Dr. underscore Stacy and doctor is spelled out and it's Stacy with an I. And I do share videos and tips and tricks and all kinds of good stuff there too. Beautiful. And I just love your Instagram feed. It's so beautiful and colorful. Thank and you. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. And the last thing before you leave is to give my listeners a call to action. What is one thing that they can start doing today to improve their child's health? I want you all during bedtime tonight, when you are reading books to floss, please bring the floss right into the bedroom. Floss during your bedtime stories. I yep. love it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. your time oh, and you. all the wonderful tips and recommendations you have for our families. Oh, it was an honor. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you have a very fantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day.